One of the things that is frustrating about preaching from Revelation is that there is too much in the package. (laughs) You know what I mean by that? It's kind of like if you were to ship someone a box and, you know, it comes to your door and you think it's from Amazon, but it's not. And it's a curious box and you open up the lid and it's full of baby grasshoppers (laughs) and they just start popping out of the box. You have a mental picture. If you study any part of the book of Revelation, it's like that. Because every time you open it up, you see something new. And, you know, it's a, it's a curious book because it's left right at the end of the Bible. And so when you get into it, you realize that it's at the end, but you have to almost go back to the beginning of the Bible in order to be able to understand it and to unpack it. Okay, now erase that illustration from your mind. If you're thinking, housewives, that, There's grasshoppers all over this church right now. And no, that's not the condition. But I can see from the look on some of your faces, you're confused. I'm sorry. That's my gift. (laughs) So I need lots of help. How many of you agree? Ron needs lots of help. Okay. So I am not doing this message this morning solo. I am sure that you understand that I don't get up here all by myself. That I have a connection in the seat in the second row. The second seat in the second row. And so I thought, well, you should allow honor to be given to where honor is deserved. And so I'm going to invite Katie to come alongside me. Katie is going to help me with this sermon this morning at the appropriate time. So let's go into this message, and we're going to go over again, not all five churches that we've done, but we're going back to the fifth one that we did last week, the Church of Sardis. And we're going to pick out a very special message from chapter 3 of Revelation. And I trust it will be a blessing to you. So let's begin. Here is our blessing. Blessed is he who... And those who... The words of the prophecy and... The things which are written in it... For the time is... Near. Yes. That's for us to meditate on and to let it sink into our hearts. Revelation 3, 1-6 to, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up. And strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed 
in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few names in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they walk with me in white for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you look in your bulletin and also on the board here, we're picking out the word name or names in this passage written to the church of Sardis. I think there are many similarities with the church of Sardis and the church of 2018. The church in Sardis is, as he says, you have a name and a reputation. But if it's just a name and a reputation without content, then I think we need to look inside and see, what does MCC mean? No, not the alphabetic MCC, but this church, what are we like? Can't just announce that We're going to have a business meeting this next week, and we're going to start taking a look at who are we? Where are we going? What are we about? What do other people think about us? What is the Lord seeing when he looks at us? This is a good message for that. What's in a name? And from the beginning, There were names. What do names mean to God? Why does he name things? What is the book of life? What is in the book of life? And is my name in the Lamb's book of life? All good questions. Introspective, yes. And that is what this letter, I believe, is for us in present day, 2018, worldwide. No one is exempt, no church is exempt from this letter. Although it was written in a church that is no more, the church of Sardis does not exist today, unfortunately. Perhaps they didn't heed the message. What is going to happen to us? What does God have in mind and in store for us? You know, collectively, we are a bunch of people brought together. Some of us might not even know each other very well. But we identify together on Sunday mornings here. And I trust that it's growing to be on other days of the week as we interface with one another. But yet we have an identity. And the Lord knows us by name. 
So I think that I have enough background for Katie to come up. We have the first verse where it's mentioned from him who has the sevenfold spirit and the seven stars, which are leaders of the churches. You have a name that you are alive and yet you are dead. Looking at that. You want to read the next one? But you have a few people, and actually that the word is names. You have a few names in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. They will walk with me in white. And he who overcomes, I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. I was really struck by this. Obviously, God is saying something here. Jesus is saying something here to do with names. So I began to think about it. What is in a name? Think about it. It's very interesting, isn't it? Names are very personal. Numbers are used to demean people in difficult situations, in prison situations, in places where people want to put others down. They're given a number. We have names. It's very significant. It shows significance. A name shows significance and honor. We don't introduce some great speaker and say, okay, our speaker today is going to come up. Uh, here you go, professor. No. You give his name. Sometimes it's a long one. It's also an expression of love and friendship. It means something to us, doesn't it, when people remember our names? And you, you try to remember other people's names because you want them to know that you care. And speaking someone's name has significance. It's very expressive of a relationship. And names have meanings. I think of some in the scriptures. There's, there's so many in the Bible. One of them I think of right away is, what did Jesus call Simon? He said, you're Simon, but you're going to be called... Peter, which means rock. <laughs> yeah. Jesus' own name means Savior, Yeshua. And there's many. We could go you know, on and on about that. And each of us has a name. Sometimes we don't even know what the meaning of that name is, but almost all names have a meaning. We just forget what they are. We, don't, we aren't taught about it these days, but... And then I thought, huh, what was the very first thing that God gave Adam to do in the Garden of Eden? It says, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast, every bird, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. Now, from childhood, as I heard this story, I just always assumed that Adam decided, okay, those are elephants and uh, those are tigers and those will be the lion, you know. I don't think so. I had never thought this before, honestly. But I think he actually gave each of them a name. We meet people on the street with their dogs. If you ask them, what's the dog's name? Wow. You got a connection right there. People love to name their animals, don't they? 
They don't just call them, oh, that's just dog. We just call it dog. <laughs> no way. No, I mean, our son has a dog. It's Bailey Boo, and he says most of the time they just call it Boo. But anyway, that's, you know. And, but, you know, a dog can have a person's name, be given a person's name, or just, you know, lump a thump, or it, what, but it's something funny, or princess, or whatever. But names are important. And right from the very beginning, the first thing, God gave his new creation to do, <laughs> give the animals names, which was to build a relationship, I believe, as well. Um, in the beginning, animals of all kinds, lions, tigers, elephants, zebras, whatever, were all together there in the garden. And no problem to Adam and Eve. Wouldn't that be nice? It was meant to be like that. And then there's another incredible thing, and this is also something we've all heard for years, but I had not thought about it as deeply as I did in this last week. Psalm 147.4, the Lord counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. Isaiah 40.26, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars the one who leads forth their host by number, he calls them all by name. Now again, as a little kid, when I heard this kind of thing, I, oh yeah, there's hundreds of stars, aren't there? And then as I got older, it was, well, I guess there's thousands of stars. Hmm. How many stars are they figuring out that we've got out there? Millions, billions, trillions, and God has a name for each one of them. How much more important are you? God knows you by name. And Jesus said in John 10, 2, 3, and 14, He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. What do names mean to our God? I began to just be reminded of some scriptures in the Old Testament, particularly Isaiah 43.1. God declares a personal relationship, but now says the Lord, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. It's a declaration of his relationship to those whom others might turn away from. In the Old Testament times, foreigners and eunuchs, there was laws against them coming into the temple and so on. And God says, To the foreigner and the eunuch, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name, better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. It's also a declaration of his forgiveness and the restoration of relationship. Isaiah 62, 2 and 4 and 12. For Zion and for Jerusalem, God says, You will be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will designate. It will no longer be said to you, forsaken, nor to your land, desolate. But you will be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. You will be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. 
Names are important. Names are so full of meaning and richness. And this is all leading to one very specific point here. There is a book in heaven with our names in it. Your name, my name, written in a book in heaven. To the church in Sardis, he says, He who overcomes, I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. What is this book of life? Revelation 21, 23 to 27. The city, which is the new Jerusalem it's talking about, has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the lamb. Nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, even in the Old Testament, we can read about this book. In Exodus 32, Moses had gone down from the Mount of Sinai and found out that the people had been worshiping a golden calf. He was so distressed, he threw the tablets of the law down. They were broken. There were many things that happened. But it's a very amazing story. Moses goes back to the Lord. He goes back up on the mountain, and it says this. Moses said to the Lord, Alas, this people have sinned a great sin. But now, if you will forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out from your book which you have written. The Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. It's obvious that I believe, well, let me just go on here. There's a book with everyone's name in it. Everyone has the opportunity to be a part of God's heavenly home. It's our choice. In Psalm 69:28, David is talking to God about those who have clearly turned against the Lord, and he says, may they be blotted out of the book of life, and may they not be written in with the righteous. In Daniel 12:1, the angel Gabriel was sent to Daniel in answer to his prayers to give him insight and understanding. Among other things, Gabriel said to Daniel, at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Jesus also spoke about this to his disciples. When they had returned from a preaching tour that he had sent them out on, he said to them, they were very excited about the things that had happened, and Jesus said to them, nevertheless, do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And Paul talks about this to the Philippian church in his letter to them. Indeed, I ask you to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And in the revelation that John saw, there are several interesting facts about this book. 
Revelation 13, 8, 17, 8, 20, 11 to 15 speaks of the book. And I think this is 20, 11 to 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it. And I saw the dead, uh, great and small, standing before the throne. Books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So that's a very strong statement, isn't it? How significant is it that our names stay, not erased, but stay written in his book of life. Revelation 21, 23 to 27, from that section it says, The city, speaking of the new Jerusalem, and I read this before, has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it. Its lamp is the Lamb. Nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And as I said, I believe from putting all these scriptures together that there's been a book in heaven since before the foundation of the world. Every human being's name goes into it by God's plan and hand. Our Creator God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son to die in our place. So loves the world. Does that leave anybody out? So that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. Everyone has the opportunity to be with our Creator God, our Heavenly Father, in heaven for eternity. It is our choice. Those who choose not to believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world, as their personal Savior, who deliberately turn away from him, will have their name erased from the Lamb's Book of Life. How can we be sure our names are in the Lamb's Book of Life? People have thrown the argument out that how can God put someone in hell who has never heard the way of salvation. Have you ever had that thought? What if they've never heard of Jesus and they go to hell for eternity? Well, number one, first and foremost in our thoughts, that is an enemy lie. That's not the kind of God that we have. Our God knows every person who has ever breathed and has consciousness. And even David said that when his illegitimate child died, there's a promise there for that child, that that child will be in heaven. And that's not saying abortion is good or a baby dying is good. But what it does tell us is that God knows everyone who has had breath and who, in his compassion, in his character, we cannot point at God and say, I'll never believe in that God because he's not just. Yes, he is just. And somebody says, what about my grandmother? She never heard about Jesus Christ. 
or someone in Africa or in China or imagine a, a very remote place. But it is imperative, necessary for us to know God is just. And we can't reflect on him by our meager mentality. God knows everyone. And he's aware of those who have known or given an opportunity. And we cannot be the judge of the judge. Keep that in mind. But it is imperative that we be faithful as the body of Christ in sharing with those that are beyond the church or you have an opportunity in your workplace that I don't have to share with those that you work with or those that are in school with you or those that you just bump into on an airplane ride or whatever it is. Those are opportunities for us to give that word to them so that they might say, well, tell me more about this man who was raised from the dead and is called Savior. Here is a question. How can we be sure our names, our names, that's where the responsibility is, by the way, not about somebody else. And you're saying, well, I can't believe if God is judging somebody who never knew, I can't believe in that kind of a God. No, if you have an opportunity, if you know that your name is not in the book of life, it's up to you. Yeah, just staying there, that's right. How can we be sure our names are in the book of life? We must trust in another name that has been clearly given to us. And who is that name? Who is that? Yeshua, Savior, Lord. We know every one of us in this room are accountable. It's in his name. Matthew 1, 18 to 21, when Jesus was born, we're coming up to Christmas, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Acts 4, 8 to 12, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, let it be known to all of you that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised up from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. Jesus Christ is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, but he became the chief cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. You can't get much clearer than that. Is my name in the Lamb's Book of Life? We must trust in another name that has been clearly given to us. Philippians 2, 9-11 says, For this reason also God highly exalted him, Jesus, and gave him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the gospel. 
That is the truth. That is what people are waiting for. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. And I believe that proverb holds true all the way through all of time here on earth. God is giving opportunity to every creature, I believe. He is saying to us, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ came to the earth, hung on a cross, died, took the penalty on himself for my sins, stood in my place, and has made an opportunity for all of us to come to him. And what we're doing here in this celebration is that we will be those that will receive what Jesus Christ has done for us. This communion, as we call it, or the Lord's Supper, is a witness to us of Jesus Christ and his life, and what he has done for us. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know that? There is no other name by which we can be saved. Jesus proved it by giving his lifeblood to the whole world. This is our inheritance. This is our possession. He's called us by name. He knows us by name. And you know what? We're going to have a new name. I won't be called Ron. I'm sure of that. But I trust that my name will be a glory and a credit to Jesus Christ who gave everything for my salvation, everything for your salvation. And he knows especially what your heavenly name means because he knows you by name. He's the good shepherd. He knows the sheep. And he calls them by name. Wow. Amen.